guys, it's Amanda and Baron, and we are back again with Kicking Cancer Cares. And this second half of our show is sponsored by Marianne McNally. She's absolutely amazing, you guys. She is a residential real estate specialist with Next Home Realty Connection. And she's actually currently fighting her own battle with breast cancer. Um, but it's still super important for her to show up and support others. Um, and so without her, we wouldn't be able to be broadcasting to you guys and sharing all this good information. So if you guys have any questions on selling your home, buying your home, what that process might even look like, um, where to begin, where do you end, (laughs) what steps do you take to get to that point, she is definitely your go-to. And she can be reached at 503-409-4389. All right. Well, I forgot one update for you from, from somebody. Who? Any guesses? Brenda? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Hit me with it. <laughs> yeah. Hit us with it. Come on. Don't well, quit stalling. <laughs> as it turns out, today was the day that Brenda and I were supposed to do a Spartan race yes. in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I told Brenda that we are going to be recording. And she, she I said, do, do you want to call? She says, I'm doing a leg workout. Oh, so she's moving and grooving is what that means. Nice. Yeah. You I go, love girl. It. She says, well, we can chat later. I love it. You go, Brenda. And it was one month ago that she went through surgery. Yep. She's so amazing. So and she's right back at the, you yep. know, she knows what it takes. Yeah. Because she's gone through it before. So she says, I can't she's, talk right now. I'm doing I'm a leg I'm busy. Workout. Yeah. Yep. I got to put me first. Yeah. But we have been, uh, by like two or three episodes now, we've been, we've been progressing something that I thought would take all year. Yeah, you did. You <laughs> yeah. thought it would be, you Surprise. thought you'd have your... I thought it would take a long Surprise. time. <laughs> well, I was so thrilled to, to hook up with Didi yep. and talk through this process. But I want to back the listeners up to see what has happened. Yeah. So on January the 10th, um, Michelle Moon is Kevin Manx's chief of staff. Mm-hmm. And she had sent an email to a gentleman named Daniel Dietz. Okay. And he is a legislative analyst, so his job is to find stuff, mm-hmm. right? And she basically said, is there such a thing as a charitable pharmacy act in Oregon? And his response was that there was. Mm-hmm. It's House go. Bill 2535. Okay. And he went through all the specifics about what it's going to take and, you know, how to make that thing happen. Well, then, not long afterwards, I read you a letter from Kevin Mannix to the director of the Oregon Health Authority, Mm -hmm. whose name is James Schroeder. Right. And Kevin basically said this bill was passed 13 years ago, and we're not utilizing it. But what I found intriguing in the middle of it, he said, there are only four charitable pharmacies registered in Oregon. So we said, well, problem one, we've got to have this bill, but it's already passed. Problem two, we've got to have a pharmacy. But there are already four. Four of them. So now I want to tell you where the four are at. Because we found them. You found them. Okay. That's right. Not only did we find them. You called them? Did you talk we, we to ha- them? We have have emailed, you gone and visited we them? We have emailed all four of them. <laughs> it's going. Yes. It's going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didi and I sat down with Michelle. Yep. And we talked about the the problems, the, mm-hmm. the what needs to happen. Yeah. Right. Well, I said, you know what? Let's not waste any time. So the central... City Concerned Pharmacy in Portland, Oregon, is a registered pharmacy. Okay. And that's, Portland, that's a big one because that's where OHSU is, and that's where a lot of the cancer patients actually go and have to travel to. So that's nice that they have one that's in the same city. They have two in Portland. Oh. They also have the outside-in pharmacy. Okay. 
Now, these are non-profit pharmacies. So it's right. not Rite Aid. It's not Costco. Walgreens. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. they are. are the big ones. But the key is they are state mm-hmm. board right. registered pharmacies. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's also one in Bend, and it's called the Volunteers and Medicine Clinic of the Cascades Charitable Pharmacy. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's one in Springfield, which is basically Eugene. Right. Called the Volunteers and Medicine Clinical Charitable Pharmacy. Right. Wow. That's awesome. That's now what, great. That's a great start. It's That's a great huge start. start. And on the 13th, I emailed all four of them. Yep. Okay. They haven't emailed back yet. No. But they know. I said, I said, Kevin Manx is chief of staff, and Dee Dee Smith and I are working together. Can we get some help from you guys? They haven't emailed back yet. But here's what I find intriguing. There are 12 pharmacies that were registered who have now... Pulled it? Folded. And these now, are names you will recognize. There's Providence mm-hmm. Charitable Pharmacy. Mm-hmm. There's the North Portland Clinic. There is the Northeast, North, Northeast Health Center. These are the mid-county... These are bigger name pharmacies like yeah. providence i wonder why they pulled out we're asking that question too well, like inquiry it, minds want to know these yes, things yeah like i almost i mean my my first initial thought goes to to, to money mm-hmm. is it just not profitable to them you know and so is that why they're not they pulled out um but you would think in turn it would give them almost more business because then they get that the word of mouth of just oh that pharmacy offers this, you know, go check it out. Oh, well, I would want to, in turn, whether I'm paying for my prescriptions or not, want to support a pharmacy that does that. Well, well, when we met together, mm-hmm. I made a note here, because this was actually what Dee Dee told me to ask him. Mm-hmm. Why did you let it lapse? Yeah. I haven't heard back from any of those guys yet. And then the ones that are working, or are registered, but aren't doing a good job, then, then we said... Is it a collecting issue? Is it a redistribution issue? What's the what's the holdup? Yeah. Right? But I, what I find interesting here is, Dee Dee, your son, yes. basically spearheaded a bill mm-hmm. in Washington. Yes. And you educated us at the honored evening about how this would work. Yes. Will you educate the listeners on what you told us at the honored evening? Yeah. Charitable pharmacy... You are exactly right when you say, is it a financial issue? Because it benefits individuals getting uh, medications, mm-hmm. right? And so, therefore, it is not going to be beneficial to the insurance agencies. It's not going to be beneficial to prescribers because medications would get turned back in to pharmacies that have not worked for cancer patients or diabetes patients or HIV patients. There is a plethora of times that we get uh, prescribed a medication and there is a really quick reaction to it. And there you are with that medication of 30 or 90 pills. Well, what do you do with those 30 or 90 pills? If we were able to turn those medications back in... Pharmacists know what those medications are. Mm -hmm. Pharmacists can see the stamps on each of those medications, especially sealed medications, sealed injections for neutropenia, sealed um, vials for diabetes, uh, medications that are needed for autoimmune disease, 
Those medications sometimes can have those side effects. We've addressed some of those side effects earlier in the show. But what happens to individuals that are already going through something, you should be able to turn those medications back into a pharmacy where they can be redistributed. Mm -hmm. And we all know working with insurance companies, once you've been prescribed a medication and that medication has been approved, insurances are a little bit reluctant to turn back around and be able to give you another medication in that same family, and it takes a while. Mm -hmm. But now we have an individual in Salem, Oregon, who needs neutropenia shots, let's just say. And if they were able to walk into a pharmacy, and that pharmacist was able to pull up on a database that medications had been turned into Eugene, for example... Mm -hmm. What cancer can't does is we have that database, and then uh, the Eugene Pharmacy is able to ship that medication to the individual in Salem because a prescription has already been given. Right. They're just waiting for more approval, mm -hmm. right, from their insurance company. Right. They're having to pay another out-of-pocket copayment for another medication, mm -hmm. which, I mean... We can go on and on and on about all of those things, too. But it helps an individual who is with a diagnosis. Yeah. So here we are in the state of Oregon with a non-functioning charitable pharmacy that would actually help Oregonians. Well, and right? the other powerful thing, and, and you know, weigh in here, Amanda, but our show for 40-plus episodes has been about cancer. Mm -hmm. But you're saying prescriptions outside of cancer. Just Correct. any prescription. Correct. Right. So the charitable pharmacy is mm -hmm. designed not just for cancer prescriptions, but for prescriptions as a whole. You're not yeah. turning in narcotics. You know, you're not turning in some of those medications that I, I understand, you know, there could be um, just so many things going through individuals listening to this that might go, oh my goodness, you know, look at the fentanyl, look at the oxycodone, look at look at all of these particulars. We're not talking about those medications. Mm -hmm. We're talking about antibiotics. We're talking about antiviral medications. We're talking about uh, medications that can help boost immune systems when somebody is going through something. Um, and a mirage of more uh, supports for individuals mm -hmm. with other diagnoses, right? So this act really is about helping individuals with diagnosis. Yeah. So like, for example, I actually, I have a um, underactive thyroid. Yep. And so I take medication for it and yep. I get um, uh, tested every six months, I think it is, six, I think, Um to see if my levels are still where they're supposed to be. Um, I think last year they actually changed. And so I got a different prescription, but I had literally just picked up Correct. my new prescription yep. uh, or my existing one yep. at the same time I did my labs. Yep. And then a week later, they're like, oh, you got to go pick up a different one. Correct. And I had a three-month supply. That is right. And so would that be a medication that would be That would qualified? be a medication that should be able to be turned back in to pharmacies Um and if we could open up this opportunity yeah. with more pharmacies, the money that could be saved for individuals' co-pays and 
insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Come on. Like, we look at the homeless population. We look at all of the needs of Oregonians in our state. Wouldn't our legislation, wouldn't, wouldn't our um, city councils be looking at ways that we could save right. money and be able to move supports into other avenues? I think yes. So reaching out to uh, the, the chairman um, that is in charge of the pharmacy at OHA has been my goal this week, um, Oregon Health Authority. And having a discussion with him to say there are individuals that would support getting education out there to see how we could better access charitable pharmacies or at least be able to function in disposing of medications that, um, you know, should not be used in the system anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, and I find it intriguing. We go back to the letter that Kevin Mannix wrote to the gentleman you just referenced, Mm -hmm. uh, James Schroeder is the director of the Oregon Health Authority. But Kevin Mack says, what barriers has OHA identified to utilize Oregon's charitable prescription drug program? Is it lack of awareness of the program? Yes. Or did the rulemaking process create significant barriers? Yes. What steps has OHA taken to overcome these barriers? None. Great question. See, this, this is... This is a good legislation person going, what can I do to help you? Yes. What barriers are you having? So I can help. So we can I am looking them. for solutions for Oregonians dealing with the high cost of health care, especially those who are having to choose between filling a prescription or buying food. Mm-hmm. Exactly and that's the a real point. thing right now. It has always been a real thing. Mm-hmm. And if we, can, if we can create the infrastructure, and that's kind of where Didi's coming to the story, is... We know the bills here. We know there are pharmacies here. There needs to be an infrastructure to collect the data, and that's part of what we're working on. But once that's there, these people have to choose between a prescription and food. Yeah, could stop having to make that choice. Right. And if we were only catering to cancer patients and/or HIV individuals or diabetic individuals. But you bring up a good point about the thyroid medication. Like, those are in little sealed bubble packs mm-hmm. at times. And mm-hmm. many pharmacists do put medications in bubble packs. It, 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 would be, um, it would be just really not so difficult for us to be able to recirculate appropriate medications back into the system and, mm-hmm. and save people money and or fear of not being able to buy their soup that day. Yeah, or just, um, I know a few people that I've spoken to, gosh, within the last year that don't actually get any medication because they just don't have, they are like to even go to the doctors to go through all of that. Sure, I've done that, but then I've now I've got to go to the pharmacy and pay out of pocket for the medication every single time, and I just can't afford it. Right. I truly can't afford it, and so I'll just deal with it. Right. And it's like, gosh, you don't have to do that, though. We do not have to do that. There is a structure in place that medications could be recirculated Mm -hmm. into the system. I just think it's neat that, you know, today's the 25th of February. We're two months in, and we brought this idea up at the end of last year. Yeah. And now there's so many pieces that are falling into place. But there's one piece that I really want to make sure we leave DD time for uh, because 
something happened in your family yes. that created the inspiration. Yes. So tell us that story. Yes. Yeah. My son, Jonathan, was 28 years old. He was an athlete, avid golfer. He had put himself through business school uh, at a coffee shop, Starbucks, and um, loved coffee, married his high school sweetheart. And one day after golfing, he felt like he had pulled a muscle in his femur. And, um, you know, weeks later of hot tubbing and icing and all of the things that an athlete does, uh, he went to the doctor and there was an eight-inch tumor in his femur. Wow. And um, he was diagnosed very quickly with osteosarcoma. And then we went on a 14 to a 16-month journey of trying desperately to survive that particular diagnosis. Um, Jonathan began the chemotherapy Months into the chemotherapy and lots and lots of side effects, uh, we knew that we were going to really have another battle because the whole inner core of Jonathan's leg had to be taken out and had to be replaced with a titanium rod, a new knee, an ankle from his hip to his ankle. Well, he made it through that surgery after... um, you know, months of chemotherapy, and we really, we really were committed uh, at him surviving this mm-hmm. particular diagnosis. What I noticed about my son being so caring, um, being thoughtful of others, um, there were days that I would visit him at the hospital, and there he would take his little bald head, and we would limp down to the children's oncology uh, where, you know, the the walls were bright with primary colors, and he would come back to the adult oncology, and he would say, Mom, it is one color of brown up here. And in between chemotherapies, you have a very short window where you feel like you can eat something. Mm-hmm. Well, there was no microwaves. There was no place to sit. Um, and... His church family surrounded this family. Uh, I took turns just going in and out for two weeks. Becky's dad would come in for a couple weeks. It was it was a family journey, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And he began talking with Becky about what can we do to support change. Um, and Cancer Can't was grown from there. Um, we decided to create this nonprofit called Cancer Can't Take Your Memories, Cancer Can't Take Your Salvation, Cancer Can't Take Your Hope. And we know that when you give to something else, even if it is a horrible diagnosis, you feel better. Mm-hmm. I always tell my clients uh, as a counselor, if you want to get out of depression, jump into something in your community and get involved, mm-hmm. right? And so the the whole part for Cancer Can't just um, his first dream was to um, remodel the oncology unit at uh, Sacred Heart, and so rooms got new bedding, new flooring, um, microwaves, and uh, refrigerators and sleepers for each room. That was our first Cancer Can't auction, and then as Jonathan got more ill and more ill, 
and we knew that there was going to be this plethora of medications left behind. Jonathan said there's got to be a way that you could turn some of these medications in, especially sealed injections that are in the refrigerator. And so we got in the car. We found somebody to support that dream um, and to write that bill, and we got in the car and we drove to Olympia, Washington, and we spent a day with the the floor and the legislation telling our stories, and Jonathan's bill got signed uh, in and over within like eight weeks. Oh, wow. Um, it got signed into... Um, recognition, whatever you want to call that, on March the 28th, and Jonathan passed away on April 4th. But he saw, he saw all of his dreams and all of his goals come to fruition. He was at his first cancer can auction, which was, you know, 235 people where we raised $140,000 to begin that first step of remodeling um, oncology rooms at Sacred Heart. And, you know, from there, out of pain and out of suffering, um, there are some really good things that can come from all of those things, right? If we allow that to chip away at our apathy, our isolation, our withdrawal, if we allow... pain and suffering, um, which coexist with joy, with a purpose, with a plan, when we allow that to change us and to push us into a direction, great things can come. I know that from moms against drunk drivers. I know that from sex trafficking individuals. Like any of those hard things, your sister Brenda coming in with her nonprofit goals, you supporting that, all of the individuals that are out there supporting nonprofits. Those nonprofits came out of hard places for mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and change comes when we are pushed into from those hard places. And so I would say, you know, cancer can't hasn't diminished anything that my son um who I believe didn't die from cancer. I think Jonathan was called from this earth when he fulfilled his purpose. That's my faith life. And um, and I will just continue to pursue the charitable pharmacy. I will continue to pursue um, actions that support nonprofits because um, that's where you get motivated and that's where you can slide into those places of change. I think we just had a TED Talk right here. Sheesh. Usually we have a little box of Kleenex. We don't have them today. Um, pretty, pretty powerful. What tears what of joy? Yes, yeah, extremely joy. powerful. Yeah. Thank um, you. I, yeah. I'm I'm so happy that he got to see it all come alive yeah. and see the bill pass. Yep. And know that it was headed in the right direction. And headed he in the right direction. All that he could do. Well, in in just do. about a week from this show airing, um, the second quarter newsletter will come out. Okay. And uh, Dee Dee owns the front page, so. All right, and thank how do you people... so much, Baron. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do people find that? Um, it'll be on our website, so they can go to kicking-cancer.org, and when you go to support that says newsletters, 
uh, and it goes by quarter, so you're going to want to look for quarter two, uh, and it'll. We we broke that story to two pieces because the first piece is really the 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 end of Jonathan's life and what it inspired, but the second piece is cancer can't, and then really how Dee Dee and I met and how cancer can't can come to Oregon, right? Mm, yeah, we need the infrastructure. To make our charitable pharmacy work here, and Correct. cancer can't has it already in place. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, and I would say even in Washington, I feel like it's not gone as as much as it could have, right? But um, but I think that we can get behind that, and we can push educational pieces to benefit. Well, and the one thing that we have, I think, in our favor here is Kevin Maggs is totally supportive of what we're trying to do here. So yes. We'll, I mean, based upon the Thank letters that, that he has sent, he's mm-hmm. he's oh, yeah. pushing right he's now. Invested. He's pushing. So there's a, there's a there's a phrase that um, that Amanda and I have used, and I think it applies today. It's the why that makes you cry. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we've shed a few tears today, but <laughs> Thank um, you. thanks for sharing that story with yes. us. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you, you so for much listening, for joining, Didi. I Thank you so it. much. Absolutely. All right. So again, our sponsor for this second segment is Marianne McNally, who is a residential real estate specialist with Next Home Realty Connection, and she is currently battling her own battle with cancer. So make sure you show her some love, and she can be reached at 503 409 4389 and we will be back next week as, as the, the movement, movement continues, continues.